we're at point uh, we're at part two of this sixth week on uh, spiritual warfare in the end of days in the end of days we're gonna let you start and i know we're gonna try to answer some questions but we have a lot of content with just uh, a page i mean just a page in the back side of that page now the back side of the page deals with um the evolutionary approach eight points to that counterfeit spirituality 19 points to that and then the global catastrophic events those are the things i just told you about um right there in uh the first hour so this is the second hour spiritual warfare advanced or basic advanced in the end of days glad you're here welcome to all those in the chat room classroom those listening just online those listening by calling in glad you're here all those who are uh doing this by the archives great we have a blue book um a workbook and it's not much i mean it just gives you the outline but it gives you the ability to write down your scriptures your uh questions and all that listen when i do this i love to have this in front of me because um i'm sitting there in the presence of the holy spirit writing extra things writing notes uh, when I normally do this, I go through it again and again. Finally, I write up the notebook so much that, I mean, it is it is just, uh, you know, because God needs, you know, we need to be um, increasing in our knowledge uh, of, of the Lord Jesus, knowledge of God and the grace. And I think it's vital because, as you know, the world seems to be going nuts, <laughs> crazy, right? Well, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. The reason involves this massive, massive unleashing. It's kind of like what we've seen from the uh, 50s up, kind of a frog-in-the-kettle frog approach. And that frog-in-the-kettle approach has um, been operative. And truthfully, the church has had to look around and say, man, we've been cooked and didn't know it. The world has been so cooked... <laughs> I mean, it's 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 uh, the the enemy's ready to eat it. It's so cooked. Don't you don't you agree? Uh, and that's a sad thing. I appreciate um, all those in the chat room. Appreciate uh, your comments on the book, The Black Awakening, and uh, uh, we're going to see that eventually. Eventually, it'll be in German, in Russian, in Spanish, in a hardback, and also a large print with the study guide in the back coming up. And along with R1919 and Once Blind, <laughs> uh, just wait till you see the announcements when they're actually done. Uh, that's the best thing I could tell you because it is um, crazy working with and through all these things. We just got back from Utah last night at midnight, got up this morning, boots on the ground running to get everything done, and here we are. But I'm loving it. I'm loving here to be with you, and I pray that God grant all of us involved in this course together His grace, His mercy. I pray that He grants to us the understanding of uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 22, uh, the power of the Spirit of God, and that we can grow more powerful, grow more powerful. doesn't matter where you're at right now and, and, and what you're worried about. You can become stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, and that's the intent of the course. That's the intent of the Spirit of God. That's what the Word of God will do for you. Mark down, if you would, top of the page where it says, point one, the evolutionary approach. And I do think that Satan has an evolutionary approach. Thank you, Shane, for putting that up. Acts 9.22, but Paul increased in more strength, dunamis, more strength, more and more power, more and more strength. He was confounding the others by proving 
that uh, Jesus Christ, you know, he's the Christ. He's the Savior. He's, he's the, the Messiah. Uh, very, very, very cool. God, uh, glad to welcome friends from Canada, from Australia, from the U.K., and uh, maybe uh, every once in a while throw in, if you're coming from another, we've had folks from um, Mexico, Ireland, and uh, Puerto Rico come in. Uh, not Puerto Rico, um, Costa Rica, I'm sorry. Glad you're all here. Let's get to uh, these because one page with all this here, you're going to have a lot of uh, notes to take. I, I hope you will. May God embed into our lives the Scripture and the Spirit of God speak to us. I pray that all of us can, uh, if needed, repent, renounce any of the sin issues, any of the dark side issues, any of the connections we've had, and just yield to the Holy Spirit. Wow, we have a dear friend in the uh, chat room here, West Indies. May God grant you great strength and blessing, dear friend. I'm glad you're here. Sunny California. (laughs) We're coming, California, to a conference. We're going to be speaking in Sacramento in July in California. Check our website to the right, and you'll see that. Coming out to see California one more time, it looks like. The evolutionary approach, I think, is outlined more than anything in 2 Thessalonians 2. And um, we want you to take a look at that. Barbados and other places are looking in. Uh, that's great. That's good. Hawaii. <laughs> I'll come to Hawaii. No, I've never been there. Um, you help set something up, and uh, we will come to Hawaii. There's no question about it. Love to come there and uh, uh, experience some fellowship and uh, do some teaching and some ev- you know, some ev- boots-on-the-ground evangelism. Hallelujah. All across the board of United States, Texas, Pennsylvania, Hawaii. Wow. <laughs> Let me take a look here to the notes. Eight points under the evolutionary approach. Number one, satanic reaction. Satanic reaction. What do I mean by that? Revelation 12. Mark down Revelation 12. Revelation 12 reveals seven times this reference to the dragon. There's a reason for that. Nowhere else in all of Scripture, not even in the rest of the entire book of Revelation, does it do that. In this one chapter, this massive revelation of the dragon, he's the ancient serpent, he's Diablos, he's Satanus, he's the destroyer, he's the adversary, on and on. The dragon that seeks to lead the whole world astray. It's like the sum total of satanic manifesting presence, the dragon. And God calls him the huge red dragon and his movement, his rise, global. And uh, we see there that he knows that his time is short. So, I want you to understand that he ramps up his work. How does he know that his time is short? Now think through this. Revelation chapter 12. Satan knows that his time is short. Based on what? Based on the fact of the second coming of Christ, of the prophecies... And um, awesome. I appreciate that note. Awesome. Thank you. And so that's the reaction. And I think that you've got to understand in the first coming of Jesus Christ as child, as born, you know, the, the Christ child. Revelation 12 shows us that Satan, the dragon, was fully prepared and it was there on the field. And it was there when God came into human flesh to destroy the Christ child. Of course, he was defeated. 
And um, he knows his time is short, and he's going after Israel. He's going after the body of Christ. So we must understand that, that Satan is a reactionary to the prophecies of God, to what God is about to do. And so he ramps up what he's doing based on what God is going to do. Now, number two, it's progressive. It does take time. There is an evolutionary development of the dark side. 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about the secret power of lawlessness, this mysterium. And it talks about it related to, as um, well, it's already at work, but it's in connection to the apocalypse anthropos anamos, the unveiling of the man of lawlessness, the one that's in absolute opposition to everything about God. Now, that's in connection with, and Satan is at work, he's operating supernaturally to bring about counterfeit signs, wonders, and miracles. So please understand that it does take a progressive development. That's why I say on a global scale, there's another, you know, more layering. The broader the New, the new Age movement back in, uh, where, did you know about it in the 30s, in the 40s, barely in the 50s to hear about anything? Um, the old occultism became the New Age, New Ageism. And then we've seen it in the 60s and all the way to today. And, and now we have maybe a billion people worldwide entrenched in the broadest spiritual counterfeits project that stands in opposition to, in contrast to, the real body of Christ and the real work of God. Number three, there is a goal. There is a goal. There is a goal. I mean, if, we, if you mark down 1 Timothy 4.1, um, there's the goal, clearly, of um, deception, leading people astray, and bringing about writings to Doc Gave Damon. Now, there's so many of those writings. I mean, any bookstore you go to, it's just thousands and thousands of books that are out now. So when you think in terms that there's a goal, there's a goal for deception. There's a goal to acquire the political realm, the economic realm, ultimately the military You know, how do we know that? Well, number four, point number four, that goal will be reached. Now, I want to say this. Under point three, the ultimate goal in end-time spiritual warfare is Armageddon. You've got to understand that even the Antichrist in the temple declaring himself to be God is not the ultimate goal. That's part of it. Satan's agenda is to get to you know, the world in such a state that he uses it as a platform to get to Revelation 19.19. Now, point five that I say on this page is, um, or point four rather, is it will be reached. Revelation 19.19 makes us look into the future. It has not yet happened. Revelation 19.19 shows that the Antichrist gets on the field with his armies. That is Armageddon. Now, if you take Revelation 19, just go back a few chapters, Revelation 16, where the dragon, the false prophet, and the beast, out of their mouth, they target, by specific targeting, they send out the demonic realm on a global, planetary scale. They send the demons out to the kings of the earth, the leaders, political and military leaders of that globalism, to do what? Look, what does it say in Revelation 16? To gather them together for the great day of God Almighty, Armageddon. What does it say in Revelation 19:19? To get they're there gathering together for this very thing. And that's exactly, exactly 
what uh, Psalm 2 says. They're going to gather together to take their stand against God and against the Messiah. It's, that's the ultimate goal. So if you understand, you, I, sometimes I hear you know, broadcasters out there talk about the end goal of globalism. The end goal is power. The end goal is uh, owning all the money. The end goal is ruling the world. No. The end goal of all of this going on is Armageddon. And as I mentioned, point four, um, it will be reached. Revelation 19.19 shows us in the future uh, the Antichrist will get there. Now, here's some of the things that need to be understood. Point five, more, and I want you to hear this clearly, more right now from all that you see, more is coming. Uh, you, you can take a look at Revelation 18. Under point five on this page, more is coming, Revelation 18. When you begin to read Revelation 18, where the demons are everywhere, every kind of unclean spirit, demon presence, Babylon. And we haven't talked much about that, but the whole global system, the woman that rides the beast, the spiritual presence, the global system of uh, spiritual adultery, that entrenches people into this spiritual adultery with demonic... What it shows us is, in Revelation 18, that's the apex, that's the ultimate culmination of demonic manifested power on a global scale. Now, that's future. We haven't seen that fully yet, but it's on the rise. The spiritual Babylon, which is involving manifested dark power, Ultimately will be every city, every location, everywhere, their presence. You think that you have dark presence over your city? It's not, As bad as it may seem, it's nothing compared to the ultimate global um, manifestation of Babylon. It's incredible. So when you read Revelation 18, that's just the more is coming. What you see right now is a scratch, as bad as it is, a scratch of what's to come. That's not fear mongering. That's that's telling you the word of God. That's what God put that there. God said the abyss is going to be open. God said that um, Babylon, that system. You read the whole story of the woman and the and the seduction and what she does and the opposition of that spiritual manifestation to the body of Christ. It's a long, long, long. That's that long dark system that manifests as never before in human history. It's inseparable from the chaos, the destruction, and the rest. It almost brings an annihilation of the planet if God doesn't give specifics. You ever read Revelation 9 where, again, we have the abyss opened, and now they're able to... The presence of those beings in the abyss are so horrific, so bad, that God has to restrict... You can't touch the green grass, you can't touch this, and you can't touch anybody that has the mark of God on their forehead. Right? Anybody has the mark of God, you can't touch. So when the abyss gets opened by a key, uh, the authority, they finally open this thing, the only place left for the beings that manifest over, I mean, the gateway is opened on a physical realm. That side gets opened. Now, why does God give Revelation 9? He's already telling us, that a, 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 a opening from the dark side abyss on a manifested physical level 
they're going to literally open a gateway, and they're going to cross over visually, visibly, and those radically evil, horrendous beings. And it's you look at the picture God gives that it's 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 a global event. You're not going to be able to mistake. Nobody's going to be able to mistake that in the future. So the abyss is going to happen. Babylon is going to rise to the point where demonic manifestation will be. Um, I mean, it's as if every demon and every fallen angel, every being from hell's side has now come to the human side. That's what it seems like. Revelation 18. Now, point six. Right now, they are hidden by real dark power. Second Thessalonians 2, a secret power, a hidden power. The mysterium is a hidden power. That's important for us to understand. Right now, the the majority of the dark side, I believe, is not seen. The majority of their work, if Antichrist is alive, the false prophet is alive, and the shadow government is intact, and all of their stuff is ready to go, well, on a, on a, I'm saying this, 90% of it is still hidden. Though we and you and others have helped bring about a lot of um, unveiling, and the Scriptures are the bottom line of giving us the insight, by sheer dark supernaturalism, the mysterium, it's um, it's a hidden or secretive occultic camouflage is a good word. That's a great word there. In the uh, appreciate that, it's kind of an occult camouflage, but really supernaturally secret. Point seven, they're hidden by method. Second Corinthians four four to blind unbelievers. Satan, the god of this age, blinding the unbeliever. That word blinding, look it up in the Greek if you want. It has the idea of like throwing a blanket over the brain. I mean, just enabling, uh, disabling rather, disabling individuals to perceive and discern and to see. Because uh, he doesn't want them to see who Christ is. So the method, that blinding method and the moving, taking away the word of God and so forth. Now, it's also, number eight, hidden by restraint. This big, massive bulk of what's going to happen because the restrainer is in place, Second Thessalonians 2, uh, it can't get out. It can't get out. On an ultimate scale, it can't get out. That's important. Um, if you read, uh, Amy's asking a question real quick, where does it stay in the Bible that we cannot... Uh, we cannot touch those who have the mark. No, no. Um, what I what I said was the in Revelation nine, when uh, the abyss is open and those beings come out, God forbids that they touch anybody with the mark of God. Uh, that's um, Revelation chapter nine. If you take a look, and uh, we're going to go over this big broad thing here. But when you look at the, um, I mean, this incredible picture, they come out. But you're going to find that um, verse 4, God restricts, Revelation 9, and it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any green, any tree, but only those men which do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So they can't touch anybody with the seal of God. That's a reference to the, the, the Spirit of God. They can't touch anybody that has the, the you know, we've been marked with a seal, First. uh chapter of Ephesians tells us. So they, they're only going to be able to strike those without the seal of God. In that picture anyway. Just to give you that real quick, and uh, 
let's go on to the um, massive picture here of the counterfeits. In the book of 1 John, and I want you to mark down 1 John, 1 John, 1 John chapter, well, really the whole book is an enormous book on spiritual discernment. But when you look specifically at chapter 4, we're, we are supposed to be able to recognize the spirit of error and the spirit of truth. We are, as believers in Christ, knowing Jesus, having the Holy Spirit, having the Word of God, and, and being in obedience, you should, be able to, um, you should be able to recognize the difference between the spirit of error and the spirit of God, the spirit of truth, between the spirit of uh, you know, God and the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist will always bring about a different Jesus, opposing the real Jesus, but bring about a different Jesus will always lead you out into a secretive, hidden, uh, new revelations that are not of God. So the spirit of Antichrist will always guide you away from the real Christ, guide you into uh, extra-biblical doctrines that are not part of the Word of God, and lead you off the path. The spirit of Antichrist is not only in opposition to the real Christ, but to try to present to you an instead of Christ, a replacement Christ. That's what Mormonism does. That's what Jehovah Witness does. That's what the Moonies do. That's what the New Age does across the board. That's what remote viewers are doing. And in almost every single case, the spirit of Antichrist, well, actually, every case I've looked at in any of the cults or a sect or a group, um, number one issue is they strip away the deity, the full deity of Christ. Then they strip away the cross and the blood of Christ and who he is as Savior. To where, like in the New Age, he becomes this psychic or, you know, this uh, pocket Jesus or, you know, a fake Jesus brought about by the Spirit of Antichrist in any system can't save you. It's not the real Christ. So in Mormonism, if you go by the Book of Mormon, you can't get saved. That's not the Word of God. You've got to get saved by the hearing of the Word and be born again by the, by the Word of God, it says in Peter. And that's vital for us. Vital for us. Here's some of the counterfeits. The counterfeit as a method. I mean, look in terms of what God has done in revealing and what God has done in bringing about His the Savior and bringing about the Word of God and bringing about salvation and bringing about everything. So I'm going to tell you this, that um, under point, under M, under M, point one, um, very clearly, the counterfeit as a whole, Satan does, is counterfeit as a method as a whole. The method as a whole. All the, revelation, the, the revelation of God in Scripture, the revelation of God in Acts, the revelation of God in signs, wonders, miracles, the revelation of God in Word, the revelation of God in, in Christ Himself. I mean, ultimately, the Antichrist is the counterfeit Christ. But point two, counterfeit presence. That's right. They can bring about, I feel the Spirit of God. Ever since I was saved, born of the Spirit of God, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, I mean, Jesus is has never gone away. He dwells in us as believers. We have the Spirit of God in us. So um, I have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, a counterfeit presence can be in and on those who embrace a counterfeit doctrine. In, Revel, in, in, Acts, or in Genesis chapter 3, it wasn't the satanic lie coming to Adam and Eve. It wasn't just floating out of the air. It was coming from the fallen cherub. 
right? When we gather together in prayer, sometimes you guys, we experience the power and presence of God even as we pray together over the Internet because the Spirit of God is is with you just as with me. That's the exciting thing. Um, the Holy Spirit of God, omnipresence. Hallelujah. There you go. You had it up, Shane, before I could even get it out of my mouth. <laughs> That's great. Um, counterfeit presence, um, number three, counterfeit angel of light. We've already mentioned that in Second Corinthians. Satan masquerades as, a, as an angel of light. Number four, counterfeit words. I'm going to go a little bit fast because I want to give time, good time for questions and answers. Counterfeit angel of light, number three. So many, 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 like with uh, Joseph Smith, uh, Moroni. Uh, this is a, a, not an angel of God, a counterfeit. Counterfeit, um, that's happening to a lot of people in the, um, by the way, in the the remote viewing world, the psychic world, astral projection world. Many people are getting into angels, their angel, even a a website out there called Sex with Angels. That's nothing to do with the angels of God, counterfeit angels. They can make themselves appear, and a presence does emanate off them. Point four, counterfeit words. We just mentioned that in 2 Timothy Timothy 4.1, right? 2 Timothy 4.1 tells you clearly concerning this um, the counterfeit words that are um, going to be given. Dadake demonoia. That's even true when it comes, uh, well, the writings, just the writings, I'll focus on that, that come about. And Alice Bailey's books are probably the prime example, let alone Helena Blavatsky, Blavatsky and many others, Aleister Crowley's, but... Um, they were uh, guided by a fake, fallen, masquerading angel. And they brought about words that all run counterfeit to the Word of God. Everything that that system is bringing is a counterfeit to the real Word of God. Number five, counterfeit apostles and prophets. You can read about this and the warning of this when uh, the warning is given in the book of Acts, with um, even with um, Paul talking about ferocious wolves will come in among you. Uh, Jesus uh, encourages one of the churches in the book of Revelation, Ephesus, I think, when they uh, tested those who claimed to be apostles but were not. So there's going to be counterfeit apostles and prophets, teachers too. Uh, point number six, counterfeit signs and and miracles, Second Thessalonians 2. Now we're told straight up that in accordance with the work of Satan, with his direct operating work on a global scale, there will be pseudo is the Greek word, counterfeit, false, lying, signs, wonders, and miracles. And it says, in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. So we can expect miraculous, and that's why there's miraculous things happening all over the place. They're real but lethal. They're real but deceiving. They're real but demonic, ultimately. Number seven, counterfeit to the Holy Spirit given gifts. I have found that every charismatic gift, whether uh, the idea of discerning spirits, Demonic beings can give people abilities to see into their world. It leads them in a false way, and and only the demons want them to see what they want to show, but they do open people up. Uh, The demons can give contrary and counterfeit to the word of knowledge, can give them insights, uh, to healings, uh, to powerful, miraculous, powerful things occurring. So every charismatic gift can be counterfeited what does listen 
That doesn't mean for believers to back away from spiritual gifts. It means all the more we should have the genuine, all the more we should desire eagerly any and all the spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit's going to unleash in our lives and to use them correctly in the context of the Great Commission, in the context of building the body, in the context of knowing the Word of God. Charismatic gifts, all of them. See, I believe in all of them. Everything listed in Romans 12, everything listed in all of uh, Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, in 1 Peter 4. And I see, at the very least, 19 charismatic giftings. Now, they're all different, and we have a half of a training page up that deals with charismatic giftings, and we'll eventually, hopefully, get the rest of that up. But charismatic giftings will be, um, they'll be um, counterfeit tongues, counterfeit teachings, counterfeit leadership, counterfeit words of knowledge, counterfeit everything. If it comes from a demonic source, it will always seek to d- draw people away from the real Christ and the Word of God and supply a counterfeit altogether. The use of counterfeit signs, wonders, and miracles, the use of counterfeit giftings is all about drawing people away to deeper error. Now, number eight, counterfeit as deception. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the counterfeit in and of itself is bathed in deception. You cannot be engaged by anything, whether it's an angel of light, the presence, words, false apostles, signs, anything that is false, if you're ever engaged with it, 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 it has in its nature deception. Why? It comes from those who only lie. It comes from only those who deceive. That is their nature. That is their nature. Number nine, counterfeit Christs. We can read in uh, second uh, chapter of 1 John, there are many antichrists, many of them, all kinds of cult groups, uh, Jehovah Witnesses present a uh, you know that, and and so does um, so does Mormonism, but all the um, cults around, like the Moonies and so forth, counterfeit Christs. But the Antichrist is to come. Number ten, counterfeit angels. That's a big issue because you've got a lot of people and angels. So as the demonic realm ramps up more, 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 you're going to have more experiences of counterfeit miracles, signs, of counterfeit giftings, counterfeit prophecies, prophecies, counterfeit salvation, counterfeit everything. Uh, it's going to bring a counterfeit in detail to everything that God has already done and offered. Revelation, or uh, point number 10 on that page, counterfeit angels. Point number 11, counterfeit prophecies. Actually, thus saith, you know, counterfeit prophecies Number 12, counterfeit salvation. The Mormon church has a non-biblical way, uh, what they call as a salvation. Uh, so does Jehovah's Witnesses. You can't get born again or saved and come to know Christ the biblical way through doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons will not lead you to being born again and saved. It will always lead you to a counterfeit experience. So number 12, counterfeit salvation. I mean, there is a counterfeit salvation. Here's what it is. Listen carefully. Everywhere you hear evolution to deity, evolution to godhood, evolution to homo lumos, homo deity, the idea that um, um, that's the New Age premise. They're preaching that counterfeit to real salvation in Christ is a 
is a drawing to a evolution to godhood. Now, that brings us to number 13. Counterfeit change. Can people be changed by the dark powers that engage them? Sure. Even when we looked at Mormonism in Salt Lake City the last three or four days, you've got people that um, feel that uh, by embracing those doctrines of the Book of Mormon and so forth, you know, they, they wear nice clothes, they don't drink caffeine, they're nice, seemingly moral people, and, and so forth. So there can be an outward-looking change that is presented by doctrines of demons and a demand for that to show some kind of observable, you know, observable uh, compliance to the uh, doctrines of demons. Number 14, counterfeit glorification. Now, I've harped on this a lot and because I believe biblical glorification, that, that, um, that indestructible, irreversible immortality we will have in Christ, the salvation that we have right now is the taste of what is to come. Well, they believe in an evolution and they will become gods. Even the Mormons do. That is directly out of the mouth of the fallen chair himself, Genesis 3. That's what he teaches. Hey, you're going to, you know, come over to this side, believe this elite knowledge, and you can evolve to, progress to, become a god. It has never happened. Even Satan hasn't evolved to godhood. It will not happen. So um, false salvation can lead to a false outward change and uh, push them to believe in a false kind of uh, glorification or uh, godhoodness. Point 15, counterfeit Christ, clearly the Antichrist, the big picture here. Antichristu is the Greek words. 1 John chapter 2, okay? That he is coming, the Antichristu. Not only the idea of opposition to the real Christ, but to replace the real Christ. That's like Isaiah 14. That's the idea of the five I wills and Satan's original goal to get rid of God and to take his place, to replace God. So the goal, replace the angels, replace prophecy, replace the word of God, replace salvation, replace glorification, replace Christ. Replacement theology, good word. (laughs) Shane's got that up, man. He's got it on target right there in the chat room classroom. Glad to have everybody here. Every once in a while, take a moment and just put up the prayers in the middle of the... And and do it victoriously, not out of fear, not out of, oh, Lord, keep us safe. Uh, No, oh, Lord, unleash against the dark side and we'll stand in power. It's the idea of God's command in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong, be courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go, right? Get that one locked down as far as truth in your life. That's God's grace to us. Number 16, counterfeit resurrection. Will not the Antichrist self get a mortal wound and seemingly rise from the dead? Right. Counterfeit resurrection. How about counterfeit millennium? That's what... That's what um, that's what Hitler was after, a 1,000-year Reich. That's what all the New Agers and the 2012ers were saying, that a new globalism, a new golden age, they're preaching a counterfeit millennium. 
Number 18, counterfeit peace. You ever read in Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians 4, they're going to declare and claim, you know, peace and safety. Peace and peace, but there is no peace. No, peace and safety, but then sudden destruction. So the arrival of the Antichrist to save the world out of chaos, it's going to look like he's come to save the day. But he's actually uh, going to bring, by his presence, the greatest destruction. So when you read Second or First Thessalonians 4 and 5, you're going to find where the declaration is going to be peace and safety, but sudden destruction, right? So that's what God says. This is what we must know. Only God gives us insight. And it's prophetic literature that gives the broadest cutting edge to the end-time issues of spiritual warfare. How you doing? You all right? Give me five more minutes to finish, and we'll have plenty of time for questions and answers. And ask the Lord to continue to increase and bless and give us insight. The last point here is number is in letter in the global catastrophic coming events. Now, what I just went over: counterfeit method, counterfeit presence, counterfeit angel of light, counterfeit words, counterfeit apostles, counterfeit signs, counterfeit angels, prophets, you know, prophecy, salvation, change. All of that counterfeit will continue to be poured out in in contrast to the body of Christ. And before the chaos in the Antichrist, you've got to understand that all of what I just went over is here on the ground now and uh, has been developing even from the early church. Look at the seven churches in Revelation, how they were engaged with counterfeit uh, words and counterfeit uh, apostles and, uh, and, uh, and, and the rest. Look at the Corinthians. Uh, and so forth. So very important um, for us to uh, understand that all these counterfeit workings of the of the dark side, Satan's operating presence, it's all here and developing and will only get thicker and broader and more layered to bring more deception and more preparation and more push for the events. Now I'm going to mention five of the events. Five of the events that are so global, but also, again, caused by the dark side. I'm just going to mention five of them. Number one, the chaos. And, and, and this all starts again, I believe, personally, when the restrainer is removed and Antichrist, the white horse, begins to make a move. Well, inseparably connected, the red horse event. And I'm going to tell you what, out of all the literature I have, hundreds and hundreds of volumes, the red horse event is highly uh, glossed over, very, very little talked about. But it's a global event. So when you look at the Red Horse, Revelation 6, when on a global scale, peace is taken from the earth and literally all hell breaks loose and human beings, it just says they are made or caused to begin to slay one another. The Greek word sfadzo does not mean war. It means it's actually used in, a, in, in the idea of animal butchery, animal sacrifice. So the term is in a reference to this kind of bestial act. Now, some have said, Russ, does that mean black awakening? Yes. If I, if I listen to the undergrounders talk about, and they call it a black awakening, with satanic powers and with massive chaos and massive slaying and killings of people, shootings, bombings, all the rest, Revelation Six, the red horse, um, defines that. So that's a global catastrophic coming event at the pulling away of the uh, restrainer and the first moves of the Antichrist politically. 
then all of a sudden inseparably connected. And this is dramatic language in the Scripture. The Spirit of God lays it out, come and see. And then the red horse and the rider and the unleashing of unprecedented slaughter and bloodshed. Now, point two, down under N, global catastrophic events. Let me mention, let me mention the four horsemen as a whole. The white horse, in reference to the Antichrist, from the beginning of his moves to his apocalypse to everything, it's unleashing of his, the one that wants to conquer, a con, been on conquest. Um, the red horse, I'm emphasizing that because that's a, that's a massive part of the buildup. And I personally believe that some of the bloody, crazy shooter, bomber, slasher events that will increase more and more and more in the days to come is little glimpses of the red horse issue to come. Now, when you look at the four horsemen and you talk the black horse, the absolute collapse economically, food chain, all the rest, and then the white horse, do you see what it says? Now one-fourth of humanity is going to die. What do you do with this as a Christian? You and I have in our hands the only book that will explicitly unveil the end of days that tells us what Satan's work will do, and it involves one-fourth of mankind, which means possibly a couple billion people dying in a very short time. So the, the pale green horse and then the methods, war, pestilence, famine, and the beasts, which may be hybrid, may be demonized, however you want to look at Theron there. So the white horse is this one bent on conquest. The red, red horse is this unleashing of massive slaughtering and bloodshed, chaos and anarchy. The black horse is the total collapse economically and, and, and uh, the food chain and so forth. And, and the white horse is, is just simply the ultimate culmination where war, the Greek word is used for war, pestilence, uh, famine, and uh, the beasts of the earth. Somebody asked, now on our website, shatterthedarkness.net, we, um, we have a series up. I don't know about other books, but we have a series up. I think it's like six or seven hours on the Four Horsemen, if you want to take a look at that. It'll give a lot more than what I just said because we only have so many minutes. Number three at the bottom of your page there, the new regime, Revelation 13. The Greek word anabano, this uh, beast system with its kings of the earth, it rises, it comes as if out of nowhere. It, it shows us that it's been hidden. It rises um, it, it, it instantly. You know, after the chaos and everything collapsed with the Antichrist, all of a sudden a whole new system erupts and uh, takes over. That's the picture. A new regime, Revelation 13. Let me mention another one of these things. The opening of the abyss, Revelation 9. I already spent time on that. And then let me mention Armageddon, uh, Revelation 19. Actually, Revelation 16 speaks about it. Revelation 19 is the ultimate. And so you have this... You know, th those are some of all of the big, big events uh, that are spiritually warfare-based because they can't occur without the actual powers of the dark side. But right now, all of the counterfeit will continue to increase, continue to build up, continue to unleash, continue to be here. 
And the only ones that can stand in a position to it, stand in victory over it, preach with a powerful gospel over it, um, use authority to cut into it, and uh, still see people get saved, healed, delivered, and the other, uh, the dark side be exposed, is you and I. And that's this tremendous picture. And I know I refer to 10 million fears, but I want you to look at, uh, when I ever mention it, Acts chapter 8. If we can see 10 million believers on the field like Philip, what an astounding picture that would be. All right, we've got time for questions. Throw them up. Put a cue in first. Um, does death of people happen uh, in the end of Armageddon? Absolutely. Um, when we read Revelation nineteen nineteen, the beast makes it. He brings his armies probably may i don't know how many are going to be involved but we're talking still on the earth is millions and millions and millions and the most massive army in human history so in the descent christ comes and immediately annihilates the antichrist false prophet and then destruction falls on those who are still here on all those who've come to make war against the lamb and and it's spelled out in verse 20 and 21 that yeah massive decimation occurs to them and it ends them because they've taken the mark, they've taken uh, and worshipped the image of the beast, and uh, they, they there will be a final annihilation. But now in Christ, future-wise, He annihilates death. In, in, in salvation, with the immortality, we, there's no, we can't die ever again. Death will be swallowed up. It's, it's ended uh, by the victory of Christ. Another question in the um, chat room here. I heard demons can, can't can read our thoughts, so we can silently command them to leave in Jesus' name. Will they obey? Um, uh, can good angels read our thoughts? I, you know, I don't know about, I mean, good angels, see, I believe that angelic side has powers to perceive. Um, they may well be able to read some. There's no question Psalm 139 tells us that God knows, he knows our thoughts before they even come to the tongue to be spoken. He knows he knows it way in advance. He's so far beyond us when it comes to even thoughts and speaking words. Now, the angels may know some things, but not like God. And the demonic realm would love to use their powers to read your mind. They want to know. And I do believe they try to. Uh, they try to perceive. They, their perception abilities are better than humans. But with the Spirit of God inside of you, um, you should have perceptions. And uh, that's even greater, I believe. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. So um, the question here, I heard that demons can't read our thoughts, so can we silently command them to leave? Uh, I have learned that I can silently command them to get out. Um, and that you know, if I'm directing it towards what I feel is demonic, stuff around me, even a person one time, well, more than once, but one individual specifically, I really felt agitated like in uh, like Paul did with that woman in the book of Acts. Uh, I just felt like this demonic presence was right there beneath the surface and just agitated. So inside, I prayed, targeting that, I prayed, in the name of Jesus, I command, you're going to be bound, you're going to be exposed for what you are. And sure enough, that demon came up in manifestation and we had to deal with it. So... Um, I believe they um, they seek to perceive what we're going to do, seek to perceive our thoughts, but not ultimately. And by the Holy Spirit, we may be able to detect them very quickly and then deal with them. Um, so I believe that you can inwardly pray against them, but all biblical demonstration when it comes to possession and so forth, they spoke out loud 
against them. And I do. Uh, you know, I've done inward, but uh, when necessary. But I, I would still encourage you to speak out loud with your authority in Christ, you know, against the demonic, however uh, you feel it coming your way. Another question in the queue here is, um, what is the seal of God? Well, take a look at Ephesians chapter 1. The seal of God is God the Holy Spirit himself. We are sealed to the day of redemption. We are marked. Uh, we're sealed with He, the Holy Spirit. So if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, you're going to see that. Uh, next question, then why do we need to pray to God if He knows our thoughts? Well, that's like saying, um, you know, listen, talk to Him. He, he doesn't just interact with us on a thought level. Talking to God, conversing. I mean, in my heart, I can be, without saying words, I did that all day today, just praying about something inwardly, just inside talking to the Lord. But I don't just say, well, God, read my mind, you'll know what I think. <laughs> That's not relationship. That's not really expressing communication or communion. The Greek word quantania, having fellowship with God, and prayer is talking to God. And, and you look at the Psalms, how the writer, look how the Psalm writer, you know, talks to the Lord, seeks the Lord, explains. He brings his trouble. There's interaction. And um, I give you Psalm 37. I sought the Lord. That's talking to him, seeking him, going after, praying, talking, asking, seeking, and knocking. And he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. So um, prayer is really outward. I mean, it's conversing, talking, engaging. And growing the Lord that way. Question in the chat room classroom. Do you think the mark of the beast is the computer chip they want to implant in us? No. I believe that uh, the mark, the Greek word for the mark, we must start with the biblical revelation. It is a reference to a branding. It is something that it actually we are branded with. I personally believe in the context of this kind of satanic branding, there has to be a demonic acquisition. It may have something to do with some kind of thing implanted. Whatever it is, I do believe it is of satanic origin, that it may alter a person. Some believe now that it will alter their DNA. We can only speculate on that. But the mark, the word there used means a branding, identification that marks us. But in satanic marking, it usually has the idea of a demonic attachment acquisition. Um... And if it is something to do with some type of uh, implant, uh, then that implant is not only marking and knowing, but in the satanic sense of things, in any sigil, symbol, marking, demonic presence is attached to that and acquired in that. Uh, so I believe that it is a mark that uh, represents and a mark that demands obedience and a mark that demands compliance and a mark that is visible and a mark that is a branding that demonstrates a connection to the Antichrist, but that it would be uh, whether the hand or the forehead uh, could involve the idea of some type of, but yet satanically devised uh chip technology, whatever else, that, uh, but it's not inseparable from the demonic presence. That leads to ultimately the same ones that get the mark, then worship, worship the image of the beast. Um, comment, perhaps the chip is an ID mark. It has that idea. There's, there's, it's, it, the, the Greek word for branding, you can look it up, the mark, is, is the idea of a branding, identifiable branding. But in all satanic underground stuff with this, it involves satanic acquisition. 
So if that branding, though, is with some kind of technology, you got to understand that technology came straight from Hell's Kitchen that then alters the person because they can't get out of it. By will or by any other way, they can't get out of it. Question, are we supposed to refuse the RFD uh, chip? Uh, yeah, I would. I mean, any kind of chip that even looks like this. I mean, that's, that's uh, just, you know, even if they want, like, like cows or, you know, dogs can be chipped and, and people that love their dogs they get these chips to find out where they are parents are buying you know these looks like a little watch but it, it's a thing a gps to show where their kids are at uh but if the government comes in to try to do this kind of stuff we need to oppose that uh that's really needs needs to be opposed we have just about three to four minutes left, and, and uh, we're almost out of time. I think uh, I have exactly two minutes, 20 seconds left. Uh, we're so grateful to be here again. This is the uh, sixth week. We are talking about uh, spiritual warfare in the end of days. On a personal level, global level, it'll just continue to ramp up and go off the charts. But it's never bigger than Christ uh, the authority, the armor of God, His power, presence, the gospel, and all of what we can do. So the greatest opposition to all of what is here, all of what is coming, is to live powerfully in all of the will of God and all of the uh, all that we receive from Him and all that we, He has. Question one, one more question in, in, in the chat room classroom. Do you believe uh, that there are those coming, let me say, saying... Well, no, I, I don't. I'm not worried about those who are having dreams saying the rapture is going to occur this day or that day. Matter of fact, that um, I, I shy away from it because folks have done it in the past. And uh, the Spirit of God has given no insight of people doing that to say it's going to happen this next week. It's going to happen soon. You know, I've heard in prophetic words in churches sometimes, oh, I love my people, I'm coming soon. I've heard that kind of thing before. But if you have somebody say, I have a dream the rapture is going to occur like next week or next month or definitely in 2012, um, the proof's in the pudding. Um, so I would just stick with the Word of God above all things else. And even, even prophetic dreams, words, anything that happens by the Spirit of God has to be uh, scrutinized by the Word of God. It's the final authority. Uh, question, will the mark of the beast attempt to change your DNA? Now, uh, nothing in Scripture tells us that, but um, a lot of the stuff now, and the and, and, and so I'm not saying that, that it's wrong to think that way. I, I believe that it does possibly bring a change, but the Scripture just refers to it as a branding that locks a person into the Antichrist, that locks them in eventually to the worship of the image of the beast, and there's no way out of it. And they become fully compliant, but you, but there's going to be a choice. Some the people that won't take the mark are going to be, you know, many of them are going to be killed. So there is a, an idea of choice in this matter of trying to get out of it, and we should, and um, and I, I I think that uh, uh, that it that it that it. It's obviously that it changes and controls a person so much that they they completely comply to the Antichrist. Um, but it, but uh, in speculation, it may involve changing DNA on a Nephilim scale or something similar. That's just speculation now. We are at the end of the hour. We are done, I believe. I don't think there's any time left. We are, matter of fact, um, we are told that we are time. Time is out on the uh, clock here. So let me just say again, blessings to you. We will see you next week, and we're so glad. Uh, keep us in your prayers.